I have really appreciated uh, Pastor Will, and a couple times in the last couple months we've gotten together for a conversation and prayer, which uh, was very much a blessing to me, and um, I think we plan to continue that. It's wonderful to hear the quartet sing, too. That was, that was beautiful. <clears throat> a familiar passage this morning uh, from John chapter 10, where Jesus uh, speaks of being the good shepherd. I think that um, familiar passages are familiar for a reason. It's because they have a way of resonating with the people of God and have done so ever since they were written. And uh, so I don't hesitate to preach on something that's familiar. Um, I always get fresh things out of a text when I study it, and I pray that this will indeed be a blessing to you. I'll start with John chapter 10, verse 1. Just a reminder of the context. Jesus has really just boldly accused the religious leaders of his day, of blindness. And uh, that theme kind of runs through here as a, as a parallel and a counterpoint to his speaking of himself as the good shepherd. Hear God's word. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls out his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they, for they, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And then dropping down to verse 27, which is, in a sense, a summary of what has been said. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Please pray with me. 
We do thank you for this wonderful uh, good shepherd, our Lord Jesus Christ, and his wonderful discourse about this. I pray that it will indeed be food uh, for our souls uh, and perhaps even a drawing of someone who may be watching or present who does not know the good shepherd's voice. Uh, Help me to speak clearly your word to the blessing of your flock. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I see this passage where the Lord Jesus declares himself to be the good shepherd is kind of dividing into four paragraphs. And I'm going to kind of try to make a point briefly in summary of each of them. And I'd invite you to see the following truths. First, that the good shepherd speaks to his flock with a distinctive voice. Then I want you to see that the good shepherd gives to his flock abundant life. Then I want you to see that the good shepherd lays down his life for his flock. And then I want you to see that the Lord, that the the good shepherd provides eternal security for his flock. So let's think about these things for a few minutes. First of all, the good shepherd speaks with a distinctive voice to his flock, which I think is the central point of verses 1 through 6. Jesus um, actually begins, we, we normally think of the verily, verily, or the truly, truly statements that Jesus makes as being positive, and normally they are. I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the light of the world. But here, he begins with one that's really very, uh, a very solemn warning. That those who would, would enter the sheepfold not by the door are thieves and robbers and have actually come uh, to, to hurt the sheep. Uh, everyone who was listening to Jesus would have understood his imagery. Now, they didn't get the point he was making, but they, underst- they would have understood his, his imagery. Uh, something like this would have been common for two or three families in a, in, a vis- uh, 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 in a village to build a little fenced-in area for the sheep. And uh, they would all, all put their flocks in overnight uh, there for safekeeping. And they'd hire someone from the village to be a watchman and keep watch over the sheep so that someone wouldn't come in and steal them. And in the morning, the shepherd would come through the door. The the watchman would recognize him and let him come in. And then the shepherd would call his own sheep by name, and he'd lead out his flock. And then the other shepherd would come and lead out his flock. And that's really uh, the point that Jesus is making. But those who are listening to him, particularly the religious leaders, don't get the point. Um, as as it says in verse 6, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. We're seeing the spiritual blindness. We see it at the end of the passage in verse 20 when they react to Jesus by saying he is a demon and he is insane. There's great and increasing hostility to the Lord Jesus Christ, which really which is a kind of a fresh thing I learned as I was studying this passage. Of course, I think of it as a very warm-hearted passage where Jesus speaks as the good shepherd, and it is that. Um, You talk about being drawn to the beauty of Jesus, this passage does that. However, he's also, throughout the passage, condemning false shepherds, those who aren't worthy of the name, uh, what we might call abusive church leaders. Now, if I were preaching to the presbytery or preaching to a group of ministers or elders, I'd, I'd probably uh, isolate that point a little bit and hammer it home a little bit more, but, but I won't do that this morning. But, but just notice that it's there, uh, the contrast. 
Um, the passage that was read this morning from Ezekiel 34, uh, I may read a couple of the verses before that, a little bit later in the sermon, because there's a contrast there between the false and the good shepherds. But by the grace of God, God's flock is given grace to understand, uh, is given grace to hear his voice. The Lord's flock will understand and follow his distinctive voice. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. By contrast, a stranger they will not follow. but They will flee from him, for they don't know the stranger. It's a fascinating thing to me. I've seen this many times over the years. Maybe even a baby Christian, newly born again, hasn't studied a lot, doesn't know a lot, but they, there's a discernment that God gives them. And they'll hear a teaching, or they'll hear somebody teaching, and they'll say, I couldn't explain it to you, Pastor, but there's something not right about that. That's the voice of a stranger. That's a beautiful thing to see. It's kind of a, a vaccination, if you will, an inoculation that God puts into the heart of those who are born again. For those who are born again, we do hear the shepherd's voice. We recognize his voice, and we follow him. I remember uh, when I was young in the 1950s, I remember RCA Victor. Uh, The logo of RCA Victor, uh, the uh, the recording company, which probably stemmed really from the early 1900s, but but it was a, a Dalmatian dog. Does anybody from the 50s remember this? And the dog had his ear cocked, and it was a Victrola. Now, for you young people, you don't know what a Victrola is. Just think of a box and think of kind of a cone-shaped speaker coming out of that box. And the dog has his ear cocked to that speaker. And you remember the words at the bottom of the ad? What, what, what were they? His master's voice. In other words, RCA Victor's recordings are so good that even this dog can understand and hear his master's voice. Substitute a sheep For the dog, you have the point here. Lord, sheep can understand his master's voice. And don't feel left out because we still hear the shepherd's voice today. And I would say, especially in the spirit-filled reading and preaching of his word, the shepherd speaks to us. We should not expect our preachers to be mainly political commentators or cultural analysts or therapists or entertainers. None of those things. We should come expecting to hear the voice of the Good Shepherd leading us in paths of righteousness. The Good Shepherd speaks with a distinctive voice to his flock, and his flock know that voice The second point I'd like to make, and this comes out in the second paragraph where Jesus calls himself the door of the sheep. And that is, Jesus is saying that the good shepherd gives abundant life to his flock. He begins as, and I think this is kind of a subset of being the shepherd. He says uh, in verse 7, I am the door of the sheep. I'm the authorized gateway, if you will. I'm the legal means of entry uh, to my flock and then to lead my flock out to eternal life. And everyone else, he says, again, the contrast, is a thief and a robber. 
is in it for what they can get, is, is a spiritually uh, abusive leader. Uh, maybe I will just read a couple of verses from Ezekiel 34 in contrast to the good shepherd language of, of the later verses. Uh, the, the prophet, uh, the Lord through the prophet, is castigating the false prophets. Uh, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Ah, shepherds of Israel, you have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the flock, eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat fat ones. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And on and on and on. And I think any pastor or elder who reads those passages, we ought to be struck to our core. Oh, Lord, let me not be like that. Let me not be in ministry and service for myself and what I can get out of it. Let me be there to serve the flock as the good shepherd does. I just did a quick, real, unscientific count of all the passages I could find in the Old Testament that either condemn or warn against false uh, shepherds and false teachers. I counted a hundred. And that was just, that was nothing. I mean, that was just really a quick, unscientific look. I'm sure if I really got down and, and, and uh, enumerated them, you'd find many more than a hundred passages. It's all over the place. Um, and Jesus is speaking right in the prophetic tradition of Israel as the final prophet, as the great prophet, and of course, more than a prophet. I want you to notice a couple things in this little section as he talks about being the door. First of all, let's be reminded of the exclusivity of his claim. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. That echoes John 14, 6, where the Lord Jesus Christ says, I am the good shepherd. No one comes to the Father but through me. In Sunday school class, we got to talking about the potential for coming persecution. And I think one of those avenues, and, and, it, and it always is, is, is the church's insistence that Jesus is alone the way to God, that he alone is the savior of the world. And in case you hadn't noticed, that doesn't play well in this world. That, that's a tough sell. People are either flabbergasted that we would be so narrow-minded to think that or, or think that we are some kind of bigot to say that we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ, that no other name can be a saving name. But my friends, that is what we believe. We dare not compromise that. We, we didn't invent that. I take relief in that. It's not my idea. It's the Lord Jesus Christ's idea. We must uphold the uniqueness and the singularity of the name of Jesus. And in that beautiful promise that he makes, he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and they might have it abundantly. And there he's echoing Psalm 23, which we'll sing a version of at the close of the service. The green pastures, the still waters, just leading us to a feast for the soul. Wonderfully tender promises from the Lord Jesus about abundant life. What a tragic blindness it is. And I know people like this, and I'm sure you do, maybe relatives, maybe friends. In their minds, the reason they're not Christians 
is because to them, Christianity would be a straitjacket. It would be a kind of bondage. You'd have to give up all the good stuff to follow Jesus. And they're not about to do that. What a tragic blindness. Exactly the opposite is true. Do we make sacrifices to follow Jesus? Absolutely. We have to turn from our sins. We have to turn from our self-centered living. Absolutely. And we can't just do any old thing we want when we follow Jesus. That, that's right. But is that bondage? I would say that's freedom. If we follow in Jesus' word, as he says elsewhere in John, we will know the truth, and the truth will set us free. My friends, he leads us to, to, to green pastures, to still waters, to abundant living. Uh, never forget that. Anything other than that is the lie of the devil. Where does this abundant life come from? This is our third point, moving right along here. The good shepherd lays down his life in sacrifice for the flock. And here we see really the culmination of a whole lot of Old Testament expectation. Uh, in Ezekiel 34, um, the, the logic of Ezekiel 34 is, we've seen these spiritually abusive shepherds who don't do their job, and God, in effect, says, I'm going to come and shepherd my flock myself. I'm going to take it in my own hands. And that's what the Lord Jesus is saying when he says, uh, beginning about verse uh, uh, 11, I am the good shepherd. That's what he's talking about. The long expected Davidic shepherd king has come in the flesh and he is going to shepherd his flock. What a blessed promise that is. But he will do so at great cost to himself. There's so much in this section, could almost be. Um, uh, a sermon in itself, beginning with verse 11, where he talks about being the good shepherd. Let me just kind of highlight what he says here. Again, in, in contrast with the spiritual abusers, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. He was a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not uh, own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The Lord Jesus has come to lay down his life because he cares for the flock. The hired man doesn't care for the flock, Jesus says, but the implication is that he cares deeply for his flock. Do you realize that means you, Christian? That means you, believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. He lays down his life because he cares for you. Now we're back to this calling us out by name. Uh, whenever I go to my doctor's office, and it seems like I, for some reason, I do more of those lately than I ever did before, uh, the first thing I always want to know is, what's your birthday? Look, look up the number. Oh, yeah, now I know who you are. If I deal with my bank, what do they want to know? Social security number? Social security number. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah now I know who you are. I'm a number. And I'm not dissing doctors, and I'm not dissing banks. I, there's a place for numbers. My point is this. When I go to the Lord in prayer, I'm so glad he doesn't say to me, now, what, what's your social security number again? So I can figure out who you are. What, what's your number? He knows me by name. Christian, he knows you by name. And that does not mean he simply knows the five, six, or seven letters that make up your name. He knows the real you. 
and he's making you who he wants you to be. What a wonderful thing is true when the Lord Jesus lays down his life for his flock. And let me say that he lays down his life for his flock and he actually saves them. He actually brings them to himself. Jesus does not come simply to make salvation possible. He comes to lay down his life for his sheep by name and actually to save them. Hear an echo of Reformed theology in there. John is very Reformed, if I may put it that way. That's saying it backwards. But what a wonderful statement it is of the Lord Jesus Christ laying down his life for his flock and actually saves them. Notice verse 16. The father loves the son and appreciates his sacrifice. Um, and uh, Verse 17, I mean, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. And notice also that Jesus and his sacrifice is no victim. Though he's given into the hands of men, yet he's not a victim. He is freely and willingly and sovereignly laying down his life for his sheep. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus is gathering the whole flock of God. I think that's what he means by other sheep of this fold. Jew and Gentile, male and female, uh, different backgrounds, different races, different ethnic origins. He's bringing them and saving them all. His chosen flock, bringing them to himself, and the root of that is his sacrifice for us. What is our response? What can we do? You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your bodies. Let us be full of gratitude, thanksgiving, praise, and self-giving to the Lord Jesus Christ, the good shepherd who has given his life for us. Finally, I want you to consider that the Good Shepherd also gives eternal life to his flock. Here's a true and false question. Our security in the Lord is based on the fact that we're so good at following him. True or false? I hope I hear a lot of falses on that one. I don't think any of us would say that. Yes, my security is because I'm so good at following Jesus. We're not actually not very good at all, actually, in following him. But I think we might say that a lot of it depends on my grip on him. But Jesus is going to say, that's not where your security lies. Your security lies in my grip on you. And notice the point in, in verse 27 and following. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. How wonderful is that? And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. What an amazing thing. The Son has us in his grip, and the Father has us in his grip. There was this clip I saw, maybe you saw it, I think it was on Twitter somewhere, but there was this sheep that had fallen into a crack beside a farm road, and all you could see was his legs sticking out of this crack. 
and a crack ran all the way down the road. Well, the farm boy comes along with a leather strap, ties it around the leg of the sheep, pulls the sheep out. The sheep, you know, shakes himself off and then goes bounding down the road and immediately falls into the crack again. And I thought, that's me. That is so me. And that is so you, dare I say. If we were to depend upon our grip on the Lord Jesus, we would be helpless and hopeless. We depend upon his grip on us. The wonderful truth that is. You see, and I can say this at the end of the sermon because I'll be leaving soon and you don't, won't throw things at me. Jesus is not really flattering us when he calls us sheep. I know there's a lot of warm pastoral images of sheep, but sheep are dumb. He loves us. Don't get me wrong. He, he, he loves us, but we're not smart. And that's why we have to depend on the good shepherd. I think if he had wanted to flatter us, he might have called us his pride of lions or his flock of eagles. Don't th- doesn't that seem more noble somehow? I think it does. My flock are dumb sheep. I love them. I'm going to rescue them. I'm going to lay down my life for them. I'm going to lead them to abundant life. What a wonderful fact that we are in the grip of the Son and in the grip of the Father. I preached the sermon recently in another church, and after the sermon, a woman in the congregation came up and she was talking to me, and she said that this passage about Jesus holding us in his grip always makes her kind of tear up when she reads it because she had uh, a dear aunt who recently died of cancer. And uh, while she was battling cancer, this woman and her aunt were writing letters to each other. And she said, my aunt would always close her letters with this phrase, in his grip. What a wonderful comfort to have when you're battling cancer. Or, my friends, dear brothers and sisters, whatever you are battling, If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can sign your letters that way too. In his grip. The grip of the Father and of the Son. Thanks be to God for the Good Shepherd. Amen.